0: This week in our staff meeting, Sheila asked me if I had a plan for my sermon because she had just read a passage in Acts and saw all these fascinating connections to Pentecost, and she told me, I should preach that. I I told her, "I, I love it. That's a great sermon. But it's not my sermon, it's hers. So she should be the one to preach it. And she agreed. So today, we have the great fortune of hearing Sheila preach for the very first time. I'm excited, and I think y'all will love it. So before we read scripture, let us pray. O oh, Spirit of God, we pray that your presence will dwell among us, so that we may hear your word for us today. Amen.
1: Acts 19, 1-8 While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took a route through the interior and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you came to believe? They replied, We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, What baptism did you receive then? They answered, John's baptism. Paul explained, John baptized with a baptism by which people showed they were changing their hearts and lives. It was a baptism that told people about the one who was coming after him. This is the one in whom they were to believe. This one is Jesus. After they listened to Paul, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in other languages and prophesying. Altogether, there were about twelve people. Paul went to the synagogue and spoke confidently for the next three months. He interacted with those present and offered convincing arguments concerning the nature of God's kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Good
0: morning. I am happy to be here delivering the message this morning, not because I like to deliver sermons, I actually don't, but I am so filled up to overflowing with excitement about some spiritual ah ahas that I've been having. I wanted to deliver the message. So um, I just graduated from a two-year spiritual direction course where I have become a certified spiritual director and that training has deeply impacted me and what I want to share with you this morning has to do with that when I first heard this scripture a couple of days ago I thought "Mm, all right there's good old authoritarian know-it-all Paul again rushing in to do his magic and set everything straight and these poor 12 guys been living in their woe is me, I'm a sinner mentality. And Paul comes along and straightens the ball up. And, uh, you know, in the end, he leads them into some kind of religious nirvana. And I thought, I'm not only not interested in really meditating on that story, it's a little annoying. I've been reading the scriptures for 40 years, and frankly, I'm a little tired of those stories. So, this is where I remembered a practice that I've been learning. When a story or a person or a circumstance um, isn't sitting well with me, instead of just dismissing it with, huh, same old, same old, or weird and I don't get it, I pause and ask myself, why this story here and now? so that's what i did when i read this the other day and that uh opens me in a way that though it has been slow to come the practice of it it opens me it opens the scriptures it opens life in a whole new way so i really need to use my imagination to keep my heart open so i typically imagine that jesus and i are down at the beach, sitting in a couple of chairs and with an adult beverage in our hand, a couple of hours with nothing to do. And I casually ask him, so, Lord, why this story? What does it have to say to me? And instantly I realized what it does not say. The story does not say that Paul rode in like a knight in shining armor and with authority and power and set these guys straight and helped them out of their woe is me mentality. And then closing the story, he rides away with them having some kind of religious Nirvana experience. That is not what the story is saying. So what is the story saying? If I stop looking at the details, and the surface of the story, which I'm so accustomed to doing. What do I look for? And I've learned to stand back and look for the big ideas, look for the symbols, look for the timeless narrative that's in the story. There is so much in this story. Okay, so what are the big ideas? What are the symbols in this story? Well, baptism. In fact, there are two baptisms in the story. The first baptism is the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance. We're familiar with the symbols of failure and sinfulness and brokenness and weakness that John's baptism represents. That baptism is the one that hollers into our personal wilderness. You need to change. You need to be different. We know that baptism. But remember, John was just making the way for Jesus. John was trying to plow up the hardened ground so that the seed of good news that Jesus was bringing would have a chance to grow, to take root and grow. The second baptism is Jesus baptism, the one that comes with the Holy Spirit. What does the baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus symbolize? Well, for me, it symbolizes that seed, that hidden treasure, that pearl of great price, the epiphany that there is something bigger someone bigger, well then actually everything is bigger than we had ever imagined. And that even I in my weakness and brokenness am a part of this immense awesomeness. When that seed is buried in the plowed up ground of John's baptism, now that's springtime, that is time to grin ear to ear, and plan a party. When the Holy Spirit comes upon these guys, that's when something clicks when it comes together. And for the first time or the thousandth time, that's when they know that God is in them and among them and that they have always been connected to the kingdom of God with all of its abundance and beauty. Everything fits, it's everything seems to make sense. And what doesn't make sense doesn't trouble them. So back to the question, why is this story here? Well, I think it's to remind us and invite us into the rhythm that is happening everywhere all the time related to growth and maturity. Walter Brueggemann calls this cycle orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Richard Rohr calls it order, disorder, and reorder. I think most of us are familiar with the terms of deconstruction and reconstruction when it comes to our spiritual development. You know the scenario. Someone is going along just fine in life thinking, "Mm, I got this figured out. And then they learn or are reminded, usually the hard way, that they don't have it figured out. They are not only not perfect, they hardly have anything going for them. This can happen with the loss of a loved one, the failure of a business or a relationship, a major health crisis, a pandemic. It's a hard place to get stuck in, but it is a necessary place because that's when we are uniquely open to hearing the divine voice that says, yes, and. Yes, you are broken and fragile and falling apart, and you can't fix this on your own. And I am with you. I am in you. And together we are on a journey of discovery and healing toward, always toward, love. We see this pattern in our story. This group of disciples were living their life until they encountered John, who baptized them, rocked their lives, and disoriented them. And then they encountered Paul. Paul's evocative questions and generous listening, which, by the way, is the definition of good spiritual direction. Paul helped these guys move along in their spiritual journey. He helped reorient them. Undoubtedly, their community was stronger, their purpose was clearer, and they no longer feared failure. Experiencing the Holy Spirit always results in some form of joy. It can be hooting and hollering, dancing around kind of joy. Or it can be sober joy, like a small bubbling brook kind of joy. And isn't this what Pentecost is? The Holy Spirit coming again and again and again in our lives in big ways that fill us with ecstatic joy and superpowers and in small ways that are like seeing out of the corner of our spiritual eye, the flutter of the veil, the veil that separates the seen world from the unseen world all around us. That when that veil flutters, we see a glimpse of something so beautiful, that you can't describe it with language. Holy, Holy Spirit, come again and again and again.